tonight's thought. What would happen if you could get Barack Obama, Bill Cosby, and Orville Redenbacher together in the same room for an autograph signing? I think I know. So it was an old Victorian mansion. Or I don't think it was Victorian because it was like in one of these Spanish cities, you know, like Savannah. Or maybe it was French, like uh, New Orleans. And in one of these big old antebellum plantation houses with like the creeping vines going up the side you know the vines I'm talking about the wisteria and like the chipped plaster molding on the side of the house and the Spanish moss stringing off the trees blowing in the breeze You know this kind of house? And it was a tourism destination. I think it would have been something like um, the Sorrel Weed House in in Savannah, Georgia. That place that I went to one time on a ghost tour. And, uh, And it may have actually been a ghost tour. But for some reason, Barack Obama, Bill Cosby... And Orville Redenbacher were there. And uh, it was was an autograph signing. And there was a bunch of people, and they were lining up out the door to go into this thing. And I think it was like a benefit of some kind. It was a fundraiser uh, for something. And I think that that's because, you know, Barack Obama was involved because he does a lot of charity work. Now that he's not president anymore. And... We're going inside, and there's all these people kind of uh, whining and dining and walking around with, like, you know, wine and fine cheeses and plates of hors d'oeuvres. And uh, there's a big line, you know, around, around the corner to get their picture taken with Barack Obama. And like, you know, there's some, there's a few people crowded around Orville Redenbacher, you know, he's got like those suspenders and that big goofy grin on his face. And, uh, he doesn't have any popcorn, which is weird. I guess that's cause like you're at a benefit. You don't really, um, have popcorn at benefits. It's, it's not as classy, I guess. I don't know, but people are kind of, you know, crowding around him. not as many as Barack Obama at all by a long shot. And then, like, there in the middle is uh, Bill Cosby at his own little booth. And nobody's really lined up to get pictures with him. And I don't know why that is for some reason. I'm like, you know, this is uh, America's dad, one of the greatest entertainers of, of all time. For some reason, there's, it's like there's this weird gray cloud around him. Nobody really wants to get their picture taken with Bill Cosby. So... You know, the whole thing just doesn't interest me very much because, you know, and as a matter of fact, my mom is there. My mom comes up to me and I, I think like we're on a school trip or something like I, I'm in high school and uh, 
this is like a a school trip, like a field trip, because my mom was a teacher, and I used to go on field trips with her in her classes all the time. And um, she comes up to me and says, you know, go and stand in line and get your picture taken with Barack Obama. You know, even though if I was in high school, this would have been 2000, 2001, a long time before Barack Obama was famous, before anybody knew who he was. Um, but nevertheless, I mean, in this world, everybody does. So she says, line up and get a picture with him. And I just, you know, tell my mom, like, no, I mean, everybody's getting a picture. They're not even talking to the guy. I mean, you're, you're basically just lining up to prove that you were in the same room as him. And and, I mean, it's not like he's going to listen to your policies or your opinions or anything. I mean, this is just not really that big of a deal. And she just kind of rolls her eyes and walks off. Whatever, Michael, geez, you know. And so I end up kind of going off into the house uh, just to explore a little bit. And it's a very creepy house. And as I venture down the long corridors, everything starts losing light very quickly. And there's not as many people hanging around and the crowd begins to taper off. And suddenly I'm off alone in like this distant section of the house, just walking down these long, empty, dark, rotting hallways. And there's a stale mustiness in the air. And I don't know, there's like a very strong breeze blowing outside. And I walk into this one big, big room. And I don't know if it's like the ballroom or something like that. And there's like a few people kind of hanging around just in distant parts and dark alcoves of this of this large ballroom. And they don't notice me. And I just don't even really you know, pretend to know that they're to notice that they're in there, but I'm walking around just looking at some of the big artwork on the hall, on the walls and everything. And I go into this, uh, really big, uh, you know, bay and go through this big door. And there's just this huge staircase, you know, like that staircase and gone with the wind that kind of, you know, arches up and then it goes in two different directions. I see it. And, uh, I think I see something. I think I see something there at the top of the stairs, but it's so dark that I can't really make it out. So what I do is, oh, I'm smart. You know, I pull out my cell phone, right? And I decide that I'm going to take a picture with the flash on. For some reason, it doesn't occur to me to, uh, you know, to just turn the flashlight on. But anyway, I, I... bring it up and I take a picture and there's a flash and suddenly the picture develops in the camera on my cell phone. Cause it's apparently one of those phones where kind of like an old Polaroid, the picture takes like a minute to develop and uh, there's nothing there. There's nothing standing on the doorway in the, in the standing up the top of the stairs in the picture. But I look up, and sure enough, there is definitely a figure up there in the stairs. So what do I do? I bring up the camera one more time, and I take a flash, and suddenly within that flash, it's Bill Cosby. 
And I'm freaked out about this, of course. And I look down at the camera and I just kind of, as I'm running out of the ballroom and I look down and sure enough, there is like nothing in the picture except a dark, empty stairwell. (laughs) And I run back down the hall and the crowd starts getting back up there and the light starts uh, filtering back in again. And I'm in this big hallway again with Barack Obama and Orville Redenbacher and Bill Cosby still standing there all completely by himself. And my mom is there and she says, where'd you go? And I'm like, oh my God, I have nowhere. Uh, has he been here that whole time? And they're like, yeah, no. And I feel kind of bad. Nobody wants to get their picture taken with them. And uh, I'm like, I think I just did. from Birmingham, Alabama. This is the Midnight Citizen Show. Thank you very much for joining me tonight. We're live here in Birmingham. If you're live with me, watching on youtube.com slash Mike Booty, welcome so much. You can, of course, uh, chat, share your opinions and your thoughts. Yes, I know why nobody was getting their picture taken with Bill Cosby. I understand that he's a pariah. I don't even understand why they would ask him to appear to benefit like that. And I know that there are probably some people out there that will be like, you know, Mike is a racist. He's taking the only two famous black people he knows and putting them in the room together. I, Hey, listen. It was a dream, Okay. I can't explain my subconscious. I don't know. But yeah, dreams, though, I mean, they they can be, like, so real. And these days as an adult, you know, I tend to have dreams that are, like, very... uh, very much based in reality. You know, know, work-related dreams. Mainly nightmares, you know, just situations uh, like, you know, I'm a teacher, like I'm in the classroom and I lose control or like I just, I have this recurring dream. I mean, this is true. I always hear about people having recurring dreams. I never thought I had one until I started teaching, but I have this recurring dream where I'm standing in the classroom and I can't get my kids to do anything. Like no matter what I do, it's like they they just won't do anything for me and that's a that's a nightmare for me you know and uh that's what happens as an adult uh, you know and i don't know if you're like this but you just have these very real dreams that reflect your paranoias your anxieties um but this one seriously with uh, bill cosby popping up as a ghost and being like pudding pop i don't know what i i don't know what to do with that one i don't know But I miss, I miss childhood dreams, you know, childhood dreams. Do you remember those? 
you know, all the dreams that you have on a kid when you're a kid. And again, I mean, everybody's different, but this is me. All the dreams I had when I was a kid, you know, they were more informed by like the world that I did not know, like fantasies of fiction. Something that you see on television will just like creep its way into your subconscious and and refuse to leave. They're not about like real things that could happen. They're they're just about monsters and like scary things uh, that you just believe might be out there. As a kid, you know that they're not though. And as a kid, I I mean, I had a lot of these like dreams that I still remember to this day, you know, dreams that like, I had no idea where they came from when I was a kid, but they just stayed with me forever. There was that dream that I had probably the first nightmare I think I ever had. where I woke up one night, I actually woke up in my dream, which is probably like, I mean, lent credence to just being like, so feeling so real. And it was not necessarily like nighttime. It wasn't really daytime. It just was like some kind of twilight. I don't know. And there was fog and mist just walking out of my, house in Moody, Alabama. This is when we lived in like the semi country. And, um, my parents had this gigantic side yard that to get to, you had to walk through a whole bunch of woods and, uh, there was a path and I walked down the path and I just, you know, it was like something was calling to me and, you know, I got to this clearing that looked out onto the side yard and I saw this like a uh, pickup truck it was like a Toyota pickup truck, you know, with like, um, but it was like what those people used to do. They used to, um, scratch out the T and the O at the beginning. And then like the, um, A T O at the end. And it would just say, yo. So it was like, yo. And then like this, uh, the, 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 the gate of the pickup truck, like just lowered very slowly. And there was all this fog surrounding it and slowly out of this came like this cloaked figure and it just looked straight at me and I screamed my little six-year-old heart out and I ran back to my house and I locked the door and I looked back out the window and I saw this thing just walking up back up toward me it's like how did it get up here so fast by just walking that cloak man dream, man, it still stays with me to this day. I still think about it constantly. You know, but a lot of the other dreams that I have, I know where they came from. There are these things that you just see in like quick little five second flashes as you're 
changing the channel as a kid. Little things that like your cousin or like your, your friend's older brother shows you that he's not supposed to show you. You know, like when I was a kid, my friend's best friend is or my friend's, my friend's older brother had a, this life-size picture of Jason Voorhees in his room, <laughs> you know? And I went over to their house and like his, his, his older brother, who was kind of a loser and we made fun of him all the time. Like he didn't have any friends of his own. So like on Saturday night when I would sleep over at his house, you know, we would all just hang out together. It was like me and my friend and like his older brother, for some reason, we'd stay up all night watching like television. But when it was finally time to go to bed, I had to sleep. We all slept in that same room and I like slept looking up at the six foot tall picture of Jason Voorhees, like that, that typical, like not part two or anything like, or part three, like the image of Jason Voorhees that you have in your mind, like the part six, Jason, you know, with the hockey mask and the gigantic machete fully formed there, just looking straight at me. And, uh, that thing scared the hell out of me. And of course it crept into my nightmares that night. I had a dream. It may have not been that night, but for convenience, we'll say it was, but I mean, I did have this dream around this time. I was probably eight or nine years old, uh, where, uh, you know, Jason just like comes back, you know, because that was the scary thing about Jason is he's like the supernatural zombie that just, you can't do anything to him. He's just always going to come back whenever he feels like it. And, uh, what he does is he comes back and he like hangs this guy in like a varsity letterman jacket. Cause he was always going after guys in varsity letterman jacket. I don't know. <laughs> he hangs this guy up and kind of kills him, but leaves him alive long enough to like shout out to the whole neighborhood. Jason's coming. He's more powerful now. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I knew where that dream came from. I mean, it's scary being a kid. It really is because you never know what you're going to see day to day that's going to mortify you and stay with you forever. I mean, when you're a kid, like everything that you see, everything like just forms a little imprint on your head and some of it's really good. Some of the stuff that you see is really positive, like Star Wars you usually see early on it stays with you and it's like, you know, you're, you're still into it when you're in your thirties and forties and so on. Uh, but other stuff like that scene in a uh, RoboCop two where that cop, you know, just gets split open at the command of that little kid. You know, I saw that by accident. I was a kid. My parents got like this, uh, HBO free preview pass. And I snuck into their, I snuck into the living room one night because I really wanted to watch RoboCop 2. And I turned it on. It was immediately like, oh my God, covering my eyes. Like, mom! (laughs) Creepy, creepy stuff.
But I was hearing about this thing um, called lucid dreaming. I mean, I've heard about it before, but I never heard it described in the way that it is now. So, and I think this was like in some kind of Netflix documentary or something. They were talking about lucid dreams. And lucid dreamers. And lucid dreamers can actually affect the outcome of their dreams. Which I think is, uh, you know, utterly fascinating. This idea that you could be essentially directing your dreams. And this is the deep frustration that a lot of people have when they wake up from a dream. Especially a very intense one. Like one where they may be like about to die or where they are facing danger or something like that. And I don't know about you, but I tend to wake up in moments like that and try to put myself back to sleep so that I can continue that dream so that I can affect the outcome of it. Well, lucid dreamers can actually do that. And, um, they were interviewing this, this one, this one girl who can actually affect the outcome of her dreams. And I don't know, like if they just took her word for that, for it, if they put her, if they hooked her mind up to a bunch of wires when, when she was sleeping or something. But what she does is she just keeps a dream calendar and she tries to write down everything that she remembers from her dream and draw pictures of it and everything. And then somehow she can then suddenly go to sleep and she can recognize when she's having a dream because she thinks about them enough when she's, when she's waking If that makes any sense. Lucid dreaming. And I mean, I I, I don't know if this would have uh, helped at all. Like, I mean, because I think like, say I was asleep and I was dreaming about Bill Cosby's ghost (laughs) coming at me in that moment where my camera flashed. I maybe could have made sense of that dream. I maybe could have said like, why is everybody afraid of you? Like, why are you a ghost? Why are we in this gigantic Victorian mansion with uh, Orville Redenbacher, Barack Obama, and you? I don't know. Uh, Freud would have said that it had something to do with sex. I don't know. (laughs) I'll be back in a minute and just play you some music here. This is the Midnight Citizen Show. Stick around.
get some confidence Something he's never had And Sherry will notice That Barry ain't half bad And they'll get together Like it's always in his dream Like I said They'll get together First over drinks and Sherry Will notice
my lip on uh, some cheese earlier. It really hurts. Had a frozen pizza earlier. I mean, I didn't have a frozen pizza. I heated it up first, of course. But uh, those things, though, it just—it's one of those things that makes me feel like I'm still a kid or something. You know, something like hot and like delicious and comes out of the oven. You just want to like eat it immediately without <laughs> without using all of this like common sense that you've accumulated in your brain past 38 years of your life you just don't think about the fact that like just let it cool down my god it'll still be there in a few minutes i just like shoved it in my mouth and like a strand of cheese fell off of the side of the of the crust and just burnt my lip and now i like it's probably gonna like leave a blister or something i don't know i'm pissed off at myself right now Anyway, welcome back to the Midnight Citizen Show. You've always been here. I'm going to do a toast right now. As I said, this is the um, first episode of the Midnight Citizen Show in almost a year. Last episode was, uh, I don't know, last August at some point. I don't know. When was that show? It was episode 223. I know that much because this is episode 224. And uh, what I would like to do is uh, take a little shot of Maker's Mark right now. So wherever you are, if you are uh, listening um, and you've got a nice beverage in front of you, it could be beer, it could be whiskey. Um, I don't want to encourage any alcoholism out there. So please do not feel like you have to give up your sobriety for my sake but uh take something though whatever could be water i don't care your invisible glass and uh yeah my plan here is to uh do a show every saturday night uh from now until the uh beginning of august when school starts once again I wish I could do this show all the time, but I just simply, during the school year, it's too much. I just, you know, weekends are sacred, and uh, but, uh, but I do love doing this show. This is like a summer thing. I don't know. It's like, I'll, I'll do it, you know, all podcasts now are doing seasons, seasons of shows, you know, so, and I, I hate to be like that. Like, oh, Serial, season three, The Midnight Citizen, season 11, I don't know, but Whatever, that's that's the hand I've been dealt right now. So, raise your glasses. Here's to the Midnight Citizens Season 11. It's good stuff. I've been drinking it on the rocks lately. And uh, I think I just uh, burnt my lip again, I don't know. So, I hope you guys have been well uh, this year. It's like we got uh, Adam Fox in the chat. Hello, Adam. 
my LA bro. Nice to see you. <laughs> I don't think I've ever said that before. My, my, my bro, my bro. I don't know. It's like I've got a simmering alpha beast trying to get out tonight. I don't know. But, thought I'd uh, maybe give an update on um, what's been going on in the past year or so. Uh, as you know, I, I am a teacher. I've been, I teach high school English. Uh, I've been teaching this past year, of course. When I talk to people about it, they ask me what I do. Uh, they want to know if I'm in person or virtual. And I've been in person since last August. Uh, we, we did the entire year at my school in person when a lot of schools were still doing virtual. And, uh, you know, the reason being is because I work at a private school, a very small private school. My largest class is nine students. So, you know, I was able to actually go in and social distance all my desks, and uh, we've been wearing masks all year long. And uh, it has been very difficult, I will not deny, uh, to uh, teach with a mask on, to talk through the mask. I have to lecture. I have to... Uh, Constantly be on my feet talking about nine hours a day, and it is very exhausting. But it is far, far better than teaching virtually. I cannot stress that enough. To uh, be here as I am right now, doing a show, um, and uh, just be looking into the computer screen and seeing, like, you know, nine black boxes because the kids always love to turn their cameras off. And so I talk for an hour. I have no idea if they even heard anything I said. I mean, I can tell them to turn their cameras on. Of course I tell them to turn their cameras on, but some of them don't do it. And what are you supposed to do then? I don't know. So the kids suffered during virtual school. They did not like it either. That's why so many of them end up coming back. We had, we gave our students the, um, the option the entire year you could either be virtual or you could come to school and uh, most of them came to school from the very beginning uh, we I started out the year with about nine students throughout the day who did not come back to school but by the end of the year all of them except one uh, came back they were just ready to get back there and um, of course as the vaccine came out all the faculty got vaccinated I got vaccinated and uh, it just, by the end of the year, it's like we were still on high alert for COVID. But uh, it, it pretty much, like, talk of it, talk of being afraid of it, had kind of withered out there toward the end of the year. And so uh, it was nice. It's like every single day you would go in, you'd see a little bit less pushback on the whole COVID front. So I believe that we will be, you know, returning back to school in August. Uh, without mask on, which is good, I hope. And things will get back to normal here in the state of Denmark. I don't know. Um, you know, as I said last year, I think I said this in one of my shows last year, it's, it's very ironic, the idea that uh, getting a job teaching, which is like the first job I had ever had, at least professionally, where I had to go in at a certain designated time every single day, and I could not leave the whole day. I had to be in the same building every all day long, and uh, 
had to leave at a certain time. I had certain responsibilities, like people were counting on me. Um, I've had that happen in the past, but it's been a lot more fluid. I've just had like an office and the, the, the office can more or less get by without me on a day-to-day basis. You know, um, it was just the job that I had to do. That was the important thing. As long as I came in and did my job. Um, but you know, this, this job though, like I, I had to stop doing the podcast when I started it because it was just, you know, Monday through Friday, it was like, I had to get up and put on a tie and go into work every single day all year long. And, uh, weekends are sacred when you have a job like that. You know, you just, I cannot, I don't want to sit down on Saturday night in front of my computer as much as I love to do it and do a show. And then on Sundays have to spend half of the morning or really the whole morning putting the show together, putting the uh, show notes up, publishing it and all that just taking up my whole weekend. So I had to stop doing the show. And then last year, what did I find? Uh, work brought me back to this format, to a microphone, to a mixer, looking in a, in a, in a computer. And uh, it just is ironic that, you know, my, my teaching job, it took me away from the show, but it also, you know, it also brought me back to it. <laughs> Cheers. Anyway. So what else has been going on? So other than teaching, yeah, I've been uh, also uh, delivering food. Yeah, I'm one of those guys that comes to your door and brings you food. Of course, you have to pay for it first. That's generally how I like to do it. (laughs) But I've been driving for Grubhub this year. And I've done this in the past. I've driven for like DoorDash and and Postmates. But I find this is just a good little uh, side hustle. That's what they're calling it now, side hustle. You know, just the uh, other thing that you do, not your regular job, but just something you do to make a little extra money. And I've actually found that it's been a good way to make a lot of extra money, um, actually. Uh, This year, able to uh, go out and deliver food at night and uh, manage to pay down loans, pay down debt, all that stuff. Um, it's allowed me to go into graduate school too, which I've been wanting to do again for a while, um, and get a master's in English. So right now I have a master's in education, but I've been wanting to go back to school for a very long time to, you know, just read books and, uh, get graded for it and, uh, sit in classrooms and have discussions with people about literature. I don't know. It's like, what can I say? I'm sick. I'm a sick person. But uh, I've been enjoying it, though. (laughs) So I've been doing graduate school for the last year. And in January, uh, applied for and actually received a grant from Grubhub uh, to go back to graduate school. And basically, I don't have to worry about my tuition anymore, um, which is fantastic. So um, I'm coming to you right now in very, very, very good spirits, I guess you could say. Again, I'm not like... I don't want to use the show as like a format to tell you how great my life's going (laughs) at all. I'm, I'm complicated. Everybody has their own stuff they're working on. And I do too right now. Like I've got a burnt lip. That's not good. You know, God dang it. 
But apparently in Alabama public schools, uh, you can start doing yoga again. Which to me is one more reason not to teach in public schools. But I'm glad they could do it, so that's good. Good job. Yeah. This uh, recently happened here in uh, Alabama not too long ago. This is an article from uh, National Public Radio uh, last uh, in May. That Alabama will now allow yoga in its public schools, but students cannot say namaste. I remember hearing about this not too long ago in passing, and you know, this is just one of those things, one of those reasons that I just, I don't know, sometimes I just want to get out of the South so bad. It's just hearing about this uh, legislature and the fights that they decide to take up. You know, here in, uh, here in Alabama, we uh, actually just had a pretty, uh, pretty big legislative victory where it seems as if by next fall, uh, you will in Alabama be able to legally purchase uh, medical marijuana. And uh, it's not recreational yet, but it's a, it's a pretty big deal, though, because there's a lot of, there's, there's, there's broad interpretation of what medical usage for marijuana could mean. It could mean if you have ADHD, which is the most overdiagnosed um, malady um, in America, you can get medical marijuana. Um, ADHD is very real. I'm not downplaying it at all, but, uh, <laughs> but you can get it. Uh, of course, you can get it if you're uh, epileptic, if you've got glaucoma, if you've got some kind of terminal illness, that's a pretty big deal. But so, you know, honestly, it's like one of these things where Alabama just seems suddenly very liberal. Um, until you find out about the fact that we still have not allowed the lottery, we are, you know, we're we're like a landlocked state in terms of, you know, lottery. Everybody around us has the lottery. Georgia, Mississippi, uh, Tennessee, what's that one below us? Florida, you know. They all have the lottery. Alabama still does not because uh, apparently it funds corruption, you know. And then, uh, and then this bill right here, which is like, it's a good thing, but it also shows you just how backwards some of the people in the state think, especially the ones who are running it. Alabama will now allow yoga in its public schools, but students cannot say namaste. Alabama Governor Kay Ivey has signed a bill to allow public schools to offer yoga, ending a ban that stood for nearly 30 years. See, I, I didn't. I thought yoga was okay. I didn't even realize there was some kind of like public outcry over yoga, but it's because the Christian conservatives who backed the ban said yoga would open the door for people to be converted to Hinduism. All right. Hinduism. Uh, you know, they, they argue that it violates the establishment clause of the constitution. And indeed, you know, this happened. I mean, I, I've seen this happen as a teacher before. I've seen parents get up in arms um, because of yoga being offered, because they think that it's like an invitation 
you know, to the devil, like you're, you're inviting your flesh open to the devil, which I don't think that's what Hinduism is about, but, uh, but that's, (laughs) that's what they say. But yoga is allowed in public schools now, K through 12, while it erases the ban that over the years, some schools had not realized existed. It also imposes restrictions on how yoga should be taught. Uh, Students, however, will not be allowed to say namaste, for instance. Meditation is not allowed. They say chanting mantras, uh, induction of hypnotic states, guided imagery, and namaste greetings shall be expressly prohibited, the bill states. It also requires English names to be used uh, for all poses and exercise. And before any students try a tree pose, they'll need a parent's permission slip. Okay. So, um, businesses in Alabama, by the way, are now hiring, um, if you want to come down and live down here and, uh, pay taxes that contribute to this nonsense. I don't know. I'm not trying to get political or anything, but my God, it should be like my new catchphrase, like Dennis Miller. I don't want to go on with her aunt here, but I don't want to get, I don't want to get political or anything, but I mean, this is ridiculous. Now, here's the thing about, like, chanting and all that. You know, the idea that, like, when you say namaste, like, and, and you have mantras, like, they don't really mean anything. They're they're supposed to get you into some kind of a state, yes. It's supposed to, like, they're designed to clear your mind of all the BS, you know, to just, like, flush it all out. Um, Here in Alabama, we have a very popular... Um, denomination of religion called Pentecostalism, where people get together and they chant and they speak to God in only a language that he understands. Uh, Apparently that's fine. Of course, I know, I know, I know. Fine. That's, that's private churches. All right, fine. Whatever. Oh man. Namaste. Namaste. I helped my uh, grandmother move into an independent living facility yesterday. Which I know, I know that sounds like just about the least glamorous sentence that you can say in the English language, but I did. Honestly, it wasn't that bad. So the weird thing is, is that my paternal grandmother, my dad's mother, uh, whose husband, my grandfather, passed away in 2005, she moved in to a smaller house a few years ago. And then my maternal grandmother, my mom's mom, her husband, my grandfather, passed away in 1998. And then she, a few years ago, moved into the old house of my father's mother, of my paternal grandmother. Are you following this? Okay, so here's this house where both of my grandmothers have lived. 
but only one of my grandfathers has lived. She's been living there for a while, and, you know, she's just getting to the age now where um, she just can't do it by herself anymore. She needs help with medication, and it's just this, it's, it's this sad thing where you just watch somebody slowly revert back to, like, this... Uh, I, want, I don't want to denigrate it and say it's an image of adolescence, but, you know, it's kind of one of these things where it's like she's got people looking out for her more than she's looking after herself. So it came time. My mom finally, uh, here in Birmingham, my grandmother lives in Anniston, which is about an hour or so from Birmingham, uh, here in Birmingham, Alabama, my grand, my mom, uh, found a, a facility for my grandmother. And I had to go up there with my dad yesterday. We rented a truck and drove up there to her house in Anniston, with and got all of her things and it took us about an hour hour and a half or so to move everything it's very hot humid wet hot day as we get this time of the year in uh, alabama so uh, added to that it was just a very frustratingly hot day but at the same time it was um in a way very sweet and, and i i have to talk about this now i mean I was not planned. This was this this thing was not in my original show notes to talk about tonight, but I have to talk about this odd thing that happened yesterday. Where, you know, I'm 38 now, and I'm the middle of of two sisters. I, I have a an older sister who is uh, um, 40, and um, is that right? 40, 41. I have an older sister who's 41. I have a younger sister who is uh, 36 which is so weird because I still think of my younger sister as being in her early 20s. But anyway, and uh, we're all spread out, you know. Now, I, I live in Birmingham with my younger sister, but we never see each other, really. I never see my older sister except for a few times a year. She lives in Mississippi. And there's this sad thing that happens to families when they grow older. They start to grow apart and go their separate ways, and you really do have to work at it. You know, every, the whole family has to work to just stay in each other's lives. And it's hard. It's really difficult work, especially as like, like right now, my, my sisters and I, like my older sister is um, waiting to hear back about a job. My newer sister is transitioning into another job. Um, you know, I've got all this stuff going on right now with teaching summer camps and everything. And so it's, and, and this is happening all the time. We're always busy with things. They've got kids, but here we all are this, this weird thing yesterday where we had to all pitch in to help my grandmother. We all came together. Now, my older sister was not there. However, she does, you know, she works for a rent a car company and she helped us rent the truck. My dad and I took the truck up to Anniston and then we get there and my younger sister is there. We're not expecting her to be there that day. She's supposed to keep the kids in Birmingham while we're doing all this. But my younger sister realizes that my grandmother, who is, she can get very, very, very crotchety and like, not kind of like a cartoonish kind of way. Like you'd expect an older person to get like that. She has a cane and sometimes she'll even like raise it in anger, <laughs> you know, but my sister realizes that my grandmother is just going to be sitting there idly watching my dad and I move all of her worldly possessions onto a truck. You know, 
to take it to an apartment where she may very well, and I hate to say this, spend the rest of her life. She may not like that very much. So my sister realizing this comes up to Aniston and leaves the kids with my brother-in-law, her husband, and sits in there and keeps my grandmother company while my dad and I are helping out. And my mom is kind of going back and forth between them. My mom is there. Keep in mind, this is her mother going back and forth between, you know, helping us move things, telling us what we need to move, directing us where we need to get it and going in and keeping my grandmother company while all of this is going on. And, um, it's just so weird because I stopped more than a couple of times to just pay attention to the fact that like, this is weird because this is the first time that my entire family has kind of come together because of my grandmother uh, probably since my grandfather's funeral in 1998, more than 20 years ago. And I, and I, I felt a little regret over that, but I think also maybe this is a natural thing that happens to families that they just grow apart. And it's very seldom that they're all brought together over like a single person who they don't see regularly. I don't know. So, and it brought back a lot of images. It brought back a lot of memories of just like being a kid. And like, you know, I had that very classic Southern childhood of in the summertime, you would go and spend a couple of weeks at your grandmother's house out in the country. You know, she, and my, my grandfather had this house at the top of sand mountain in Georgia. And, you know, we'd go up there and we just do like country things like run around barefoot, you know, play with the dogs. Like my grandmother had like some like a rooster at one point that we would chase around or he would chase us around <laughs> you know we go get fireworks on the 4th of july i remember one time i dropped a roman candle because i was scared of it and it shot through her very, brand new garden hose and it pissed my grandfather off like crazy he didn't speak to me for the rest of the time i was up there <laughs> and i would just sit out on the porch swing and we would like drink iced tea on the 4th of july and like watch the fireworks go off in chattanooga and it was my grandmother's birthday, and she would always say, oh, yeah, those fireworks are going off for me, not because of 4th of July, stupid. <laughs> and on the hot days, I would sit out there on the porch, and I would, you know, I would, like, read. Uh, I was really into, um, that's when I got into Calvin and Hobbes. I would sit out on the porch, and I would read Calvin and Hobbes. My grandfather would never throw out any newspapers. So every time you would go into his house, there was just, like, this huge stack of hundreds of newspapers along the um along the wall in his den and uh and i would just go through them i would like flip 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 and then find the color funnies section you know like the sunday newspaper and bring that out and read the um colorized calvin and Hobbes. you know and we would go out, we would like pick blueberries and blackberries and we would bring them in. My grandmother would make them into a jam. I don't know. <laughs> it, it sounds like cliche, but we did that stuff. We did it a very long time ago. I mean, it's weird to think how long ago that was. That was probably late eighties, which to some of you guys doesn't may not seem that long ago, but I mean, that was a lifetime ago from, I mean, that was, I was six, seven years old when this stuff was happening, you know? And just thinking about, like, we don't really share these moments anymore at all, and we're never going to share them ever again. But yesterday, we had this odd moment where 
I'm drinking some water just to kind of cool off for a second. And we're almost done. I think we've got like a couple of other pieces of furniture to move. And, you know, I'm standing in there and my grandmother and my sister Melinda are sitting on the couch. And my grandmother's talking about how she just has no concept of how much anything costs anymore. Um, she's just like, I, I just haven't bought, been to the store and bought anything for myself in years. I, I don't know how much anything costs anymore. And I looked over to her and I said, well, just tell me how much you think something costs. Like how much do you think a quarter of milk cost? And my sister, Melinda just starts like passing out laughing. I'm like, what's so funny? And she's like, what did you just say? And I said a quarter of milk. And she's like, who says quarter of milk? And I'm like, I do. What? It's quarter of milk, right? It's a, it's a quarter of a gallon of milk. And she's like, well, yeah, but nobody says that. It's quart of milk. And my grandmother's like, oh, Michael, it's quart of milk, idiot. <laughs> I'm like, okay, fine. It's quart of milk. But I say quarter of milk, whatever, you know? And so we're all there in the living room of my grandmother's house that she's about to leave forever laughing over something stupid that I said, which I have to think is probably what they all used to laugh at about me back in the old days. I don't know. And with that being said, it's time for the first time in a very long time to take a trip down to our favorite store on the corner of the block, the Video Street Video Store. Yeah, let's go on in, see what the see what videos they got on the shelf. Some new stock. So enjoy this. I'll be back in just a minute. Channel 6 in Birmingham, WBRC Television. If you pick up a comic book these days, you're bound to read about some incredible superhero like Superman or Flash or Blackhawk or Willie Perry. Well, actually, there is no comic book about Willie Perry, but there should be. He's the most incredible superhero of them all because he's real. This is a dramatization of something that could happen to anyone. All too often, there's no one around who's able or willing to help in Birmingham, Alabama, that's not the case, thanks to an incredibly good Samaritan who calls himself Batman. <laughs> I, at night, I really got to get some stares from people. They think it's the flying saucer or something from out of space. They pull up and they almost get sobered up, you know. <laughs> what is it? It's what Willie called his Batmobile rescue ship, an ingeniously converted 1971 Thunderbird. Batman, he went around helping people, you know. That's why I got coined the name Batman, because I help people. So after reading that, you know, I decided, well, I've got a car that everybody can recognize, so why not use it to uh, help people? Case in point, Dorothy Clark. I was on my way to a picnic one Saturday morning. My car had a flat tire. I, I didn't have a spare. And I didn't have a jack. And I was stranded. I was on the highway, me and my kids. 
we were out there for about an hour. No one stopped to help us. I was hot, they were hot and tired. And along came this strange car. identification card saying Batman Rescue Squad. So he asked me what was my trouble. I told him. I told him about my tire. I told him about my jack. So he suggested that, you know, he take me and my kids to the picnic. But I had to trust him because no one else stopped. During the picnic, I was worried that he wouldn't show back up. But at the end of the day, he showed back up with a blue tire. He carried me and my kids back to our car and fixed our tire and saw us along our way. Free. I like to see people's faces light up when I help them, you know. So I get that's my kick right now. When he's not rescuing people, Willie holds down a full-time job. He's um, probably one of the most giving type people I've ever met. He'll do anything. In fact, um, Willie probably gives away practically everything he makes. Hello, how are you doing today? Kindness, warmth, and generosity have made Willie one of the most popular people in Birmingham. August 3rd, 1982. Once again, Willie comes to the rescue. He was on the other side of the street over there, and he gave me the signal that he was coming back. When I looked up again, there he was. Elijah Griffin's car is overheated, so Willie puts his backseat emergency water tank into action. A few minutes later, the problem is solved. Well, I'm out here in this car, heated up all the stuff in the rescue man, rescue ship come along, bring me some water. Caught me in the street. When Willie spots potential danger, he radios for help. Just recently, we got in a call here where there was oil spread all over the place. The stand that Willie Perry had arrived on the scene, blocked off traffic, and gave us a call. We were able to wash off the oil and drain it away from here and because Willie became involved took charge and stopped traffic initially here in all probability prevented uh, considerable damage accidents such as that Willie's service to the city was recently acknowledged by Birmingham's Mayor Richard Arrington he's taken it on his arm to be a good Samaritan uh, Birmingham is very proud of him the council and mayor join in declaring today, August 3rd, Willie Perry Day here in the city of Birmingham. It was a proud moment for Willie Perry. Shortly after the ceremony, he was back at work. A motorist has run out of gas. It looks like a job for Willie Perry. There's always an emergency gas can stored in Willie's trunk. This stranded driver is about to receive enough fuel to get to a station from Willie's own tank. And there's never a service charge. This is my mission, and I, I'm going to be doing it as long as I can.
I want to go around in my car just helping people, like helping people out on the side of the road and all that. <laughs> it's like when I was a kid, I really, really wanted to be like uh, Batman. Just thought that would have been so cool just to like fly around there in my cape. Yeah, I know Batman doesn't fly, but uh, in my fantasy, he did. So, whatever. (laughs) Welcome back to the Midnight Citizen Show. Uh, My apologies there to uh, my live listeners, which I now have eight. One of those is me, so I guess I have seven. (laughs) So, uh, we got PQ listening, who's actually pointed my attention to some technical difficulties just now. So, thank you. Adam, thank you. As I was playing the Video Street Video Store just now, and I realized there was no sound coming through in the live stream, and I do apologize for that. However, I am recording the show. It will be on demand uh, tomorrow, so you'll be able to see that compelling piece of video just now. That was a amazing thing that I, I just stumbled on this week. I was actually talking to a friend of mine who's lived in Birmingham a lot longer than I have, and... Uh, well, I don't want to say he's that old, but he's lived a lot longer than I have. <laughs> but uh, my friend Dave, we were talking earlier this week on the porch there, and uh, we were talking about those old shows uh, like uh, Real People, and that's incredible, uh, that would just have these correspond. They were soft news segments, and they would just have these correspondents, you know, that would come on and kind of tell you about weird stories from all over the nation um, about people who just kind of led these very interesting lives. And and uh, we were talking about That's Incredible, and Dave said that, oh, yeah, have you ever seen the Birmingham Batman episode of That's Incredible? And I was like, what are you talking about? And he pointed me to this story. That was from a segment of uh, the show from 1982. This is actually the year that I was born. I think it was from from June of 1982. And uh, about this guy named Willie Perry. And here's a, there's a, B, a Birmingham Wiki article about it. Beham Wiki. Which is um, run in part by a friend of mine, John Morse. About um, Willie Perry. It says, Willie James Perry, also known as the Birmingham Batman, born 1940, died January 24th, 1985. He died just three years after the segment aired, which is very sad. Uh, but he was well known for cruising around Birmingham, helping stranded motorists and giving free rides in his customized 1971 Ford Thunderbird. Um, yeah, Dave told me that he rode around in like this uh, bat car, kind of like the Batmobile on the show from the 1960s, but uh, it wasn't. You know, of course, in 1982, that's what most people in the pop lexicon would have been familiar with, uh, Batman as the campy 1960s show. But it's not really even that. It's like it's not a Batmobile or anything per se. It's just he kind of souped up his Thunderbird and put like a siren on the top of it and uh, and all that. And he went around in a helmet. But uh, but uh, so Perry lived at 702 Delta Street South in South Titusville. I know exactly where that is. And he worked at a window distributor named J.F. Day and Company on 6th Avenue South in Lakeview. I live in Lakeview. 
That's literally, I drive by that place every single day on my way to work. Uh, and that's where Willie Perry once lived. And that's also sadly where he died. Um, he died of carbon monoxide poisoning, which sounds like, you know, it sounds like what we think it may sound like that he maybe died by suicide. But apparently the story is, is that it was a very cold day and Willie Perry was in doing uh, modifications to his Batmobile and uh, he was so cold that he had to close the garage door and he had the thing going and he um, unfortunately was poisoned by carbon monoxide gas and that was obviously very sad. But um, but that was the Birmingham Batman and according to my friend Dave, uh, it says in here uh, that... While making his rounds, Perry rode a, uh, wore a white helmet with the Bat logo and a white jumpsuit. Um, he accessorized with portable pagers and various tools worn on his utility belt. And he would uh, drive around, uh, giving, like when he wasn't helping people out, giving gas to stranded motorists or, or helping out people with uh, flat tires, uh, he would give kids rides around the neighborhood. And... Uh, Dave was no doubt telling me that like one day he was in his hometown of Edgewood in his neighborhood and he saw Willie Perry drive up in his Batmobile and uh, he went for a ride around the block in Willie's Batmobile. So I'm always fascinated to find out this, uh, this, this weird history about the city that I live in and, you know, no doubt it exists everywhere. Um, and, uh, just, uh, all up and down the place, um, New York and L.A., they're not the only places with uh, with weird people. I don't know. What, <laughs> what can I say? But yeah, I always wanted to be like a Batman just to go around helping people. You know, to, like, kind of come out of the shadows and, like, beat up thugs and stuff like that. But I never really realized that, you know, that's that's not what those comic books were teaching us. They weren't teaching us about, like, beating up goons or anything like that. About, like, using our muscles to, like, stop crime. They were always, I think, like, trying to teach us, like, morality lessons about being a good person or something. But, um... And that's what somebody like Willie Perry did. And I think, like, it's important to, like, you know, be a good person, obviously. But, um, you know, every single day, you know, you, you can be like a Batman. You know, just driving around helping people. So I was in the drive-thru tonight, and somebody broke down in front of me. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got to be a Batman. <laughs> Jump out and help this person. Fortunately, their car started up before I had to do anything, but, you know. I don't know. I feel like moments like that test you. Like, you know, when you're on an airplane and they say that, you know, you may have to help. You can sit in the emergency seat, but, you know, if you sit there, you, you have to, like, help people. And, like, the trade-off for, like, being a Batman is that you get a little bit more leg room. Um, I'm always willing to give that up. I don't, I don't want If, like, somebody's life is in my hands, I don't know. That's a lot of pressure. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know how to deal with stuff like that. Ha, ha, ha.
very nice edgy grandpa thank you so much yes i do i do use english instead of my muscles anyway thank you so much for joining me tonight here in the studio for my first midnight citizen podcast back since last august yes if you join me late tonight and miss part of the show don't worry about it it will be up tomorrow on sunday i will have the show up Please check me out over at MikeBooty.com slash The Midnight Citizen. You can also check me out. I'll post over at The Overnightscape Underground on SUG, O-N-S-U-G.com, where me and a bunch of other fabulous hosts make amazing audio content for you absolutely free. And uh, join me here next Saturday night. I will be doing a show come hell or high water. Well, Unless I'm stranded on the side of the road and I need the ghost of Willie Perry to come down and help me out. But yes. Until next time, keep your eyes open.